Did Comey go rogue? You could use that term, yes. Hey folks, this is Frank Reynolds, and this is the Lies People Tell podcast, the podcast where self-help meets true crime. And uh, hopefully I'm also not only the host of the podcast, but your guide through the world of deceptive language analysis. Started out with a little uh, audio clip from a Senate Judicial Committee hearing with Sally Yates talking about James Comey going rogue. And uh, we'll get to the significance of that clip in a few moments what we're going to talk about today is pronouns now i get it you're saying to yourself what is this uh you know eighth grade english no this is one of the most dynamic and interesting parts of our speech and it tells us so much about what we own who we take ownership of what we take ownership of uh, what's important to us in our life, uh, tells us about our relationships with people and items and things. Pronouns are such a illuminating part of our language that, uh, we really don't think of it, but after we're done with this little conversation, hopefully you'll look at pronouns in a completely different way. Now, pronouns stand in for nouns and Nouns are about people, places, and things, okay? But a pronoun does tell us, through the use of pronouns, what's important to us, who's important to us. If we have a strained relationship, if we're trying to distance ourselves from something or someone, or if we're trying to take ownership or possession of it or claim at least ownership of it. It's like... You know, if it's, if you've proposed a idea in the past and it turned out to be great and your idea was implemented, you're going to take credit that say, well, that was my ideal. If it turned out to be a total flop, you may, uh, not claim it as your idea. You may no longer say it was my idea. I say, well, it was an idea. You know, you distance yourself from that. You've given up possession of that idea. Pronouns. Are, are there are three different types of pronouns there's first person pronouns it's i me my we us second person pronouns you and third person pronouns he him she her they them it okay those are the three types of uh pronouns we use now in deceptive language analysis i prefer to think of pronouns in two ways it's a little simpler uh for analysis purposes I think of pronouns as either personal pronouns, like I, you, he, she, we, they, or possessive pronouns, mine, my, ours, yours, his, hers, theirs. That refers to ownership or possession of something or someone. If you use the first person pronoun, I, that indicates commitment to something and indicates commitment to an action or an activity on your part. An absence of that first person pronoun may indicate a distancing 
or a unwillingness to accept responsibility for an action or an activity. Even more significant is when we shift the pronoun from I, first person, to a you, which is a second person, because that indicates you're trying to push away uh, and not take ownership of that idea, that thought, that activity, that thing. It's uh, giving you some distance because you really don't want to take responsibility for it. For example, so if you let me give you a, a sentence here and I just listen to this. It says, so I decided not to review each and every report. You get tired after a 12-hour shift and you just want to go home and rest. Now, in this example, the speaker admits to not fulfilling his duties of reviewing all the reports, but he tries to avoid taking any responsibility for his reasons of why he did not complete his task by using the word, the second person pronoun of you. He's creating distance for himself. If he would have, he could have more easily and more truthfully said, I, so I decided not to review in each and every report. I was tired after a 12 hour shift and I just wanted to go home and rest. Now in that sense, he's taking full responsibility for his lack of action. He's taking responsibility. He's not trying to distance himself. He's not trying to put himself off from it. Let me play that clip again of Sally Yates. And I want you to listen. Does she take responsibility or does she own the statement that is Jim Comey, did Jim Comey go rogue? Did Comey go rogue? You could use that term, yes. You see, she used the word you could use that term, yes. Now, it makes it sound like she's agreeing and she's saying, yes, he did go rogue. But in actuality, she's not saying that. She's saying that Lindsey Graham could use that term, Comey went rogue. She's not saying she's using it. She's saying you could use that, yes. So she's being deceptive because she doesn't want to take ownership of that because the reality is, is I don't know that she was all that upset that Comey did do an ambush interview of Michael Flynn. I think she was probably upset that she didn't, he didn't clear it with her because she's a bureaucrat and all bureaucrats want to have control and they don't want anybody to do anything without, you know, a mother, may I, can I do this? And he just went ahead and did whatever he wanted. But I don't know that she's really all that upset that he did it because once again, listen to this. Did Comey go rogue? You could use that term, yes. You could use that term, yes. Now, she's saying, Lindsey Graham, you could call him rogue. She's not calling him rogue. Okay, so that's what I'm talking about. When they're shifting the first person to the third person, a more honest, a more direct, and a less deceptive language answer for her could have been, yes. I believe he went rogue. Yes, he did go rogue. She would have been taking ownership of it by her answering. It makes it sound like she agrees, but she's not agreeing. She's saying you could say that. That's what we're talking about with the shifting of uh, the pronouns. So let's take this into a uh, more practical type of situation. 
say you're hiring someone uh, at your company, you're a hiring manager or you're a small business owner and you're hiring someone, say you own a restaurant, you're hiring a, a person to be a, you have a opening for a sous chef and you want to, you know, you, you've gotten interviews and you're talking to people and you're sitting down and talking to a young man who has applied to become a sous chef. And you asked him, okay, what were your duties as a sous chef at your last job? The young man answers, well, the usual things, you know, you help with the kitchen prep, you help the chef with the menu planning, you help with the cooking. Now, is he saying what he did? No, not really. He's saying you do that. Now he's giving the indication that he's answering the question, but in reality, he really is not answering the question because if you compare the uh, sentences using first person versus third person, you can see the difference. So let's, let me go through the sentence again. We'll compare and contrast if you will. Well, the usual things, you know, you help with the kitchen prep, you help the chef with the menu planning, you help with the cooking versus the first person pronoun use. Well, the usual things, you know, I helped with the kitchen prep. I helped the chef with the menu planning. I helped with the cooking. Which sounds more believable? The first answer distances himself from these duties because he's probably never done those, but he knows enough to talk the talk, and he knows that he these are probably the, the basic functions of a sous chef, and if he says you do these things, he's giving the indication that he did them, but reality is he's not saying he did. The second one using the first person pronoun of I shows or indicates, yes, it's more believable. It's more direct. He has taken ownership. I did these things because think about it. If you're interviewing for a job and you're wanting to tout what you've done, your accomplishments and building yourself up, uh, in the, the mind of the hiring manager, you would want to use first person personal pronouns. You want to take responsibility. I headed this project, which resulted in this, you know, uh, efficiency, which saved money for the company. Use whatever example. I was in charge of this section, and it, we had an inventory of $14 million worth of equipment. I was uh, spearheaded the, you know, renovation of this uh, shipping line which cut down overtime because of man hour efficiencies. We were able to get uh, orders pulled and shipped out in a more timely basis. You're taking responsibility for those things. You're saying you did those as opposed to you saying you using the third person, uh, the third person pronoun of you. So when you're thinking of possession, possession of activities, First person is always the best. If you start hearing them use third person uh, pronouns when they're talking about activities that they should be taking credit for, you need to remember they probably had nothing to do with those uh, activities. All right. So the next thing I want to talk about is the use of the pronoun we. Now, personal pronouns. You know, the personal pronoun of we 
may indicate a relationship that indicate exists between people. And we, you know, because we do things together, we go on trips together, we go to lunch together, we go have coffee, we do things together. We're social animals, uh, people are. And we indicate that there is a consent, an implied consent with these activities. If I said, you know, he took me into the woods versus we went into the woods, which indicates consent. Well, we went into the woods. I agreed to go in the woods, whereas he took me into the woods may or may not. That does not indicate consent. That indicates that I was taken into the woods. Was that on my free will or not? We don't know, but it definitely does not indicate that there was an implied consent. So if I hear he took me into the woods, that is probably going to cause me to ask a few questions. So when you're dealing with someone that's uh, had a uh, traumatic uh, event or they're explaining, telling a story about uh, a situation that started out well that then turned bad, sour, an argument, uh, a fight with someone, a disagreement with a coworker, a spouse, a friend, you will see a shift from the use of the word we to he and I or she and I. There's a separation there because no longer is there a consent or are we in this together. Once that situation turns sour, they will separate. And you'll know generally when they start to use, they, they swift from using we to he and I or she and I, that's the point in the story, in the statement, in the incident that things went south. So let me go through a, uh, a statement and uh, to give you, you know, an example of this, this is an excellent example of this. This is a story, uh, a statement given by a young lady. It was a date rape, a sexual assault uh, case. And she was a college student at a Midwestern college. And she was visiting a fraternity house on campus. And she hooked up with a young frat boy named Jed. So let me read you the statement here. Jed came over and started to massage my shoulders. He then asked me if I wanted to see the house. I said, okay. So we went upstairs. We went through the kitchen and decided to then down the hall to the foyer to a room that had a piano. We stayed in that room for about 15 minutes. We talked and I played the piano. He said, do you want to see the upstairs? And I said, all right. We went upstairs and then he took me to... Stan's bedroom. He then started kissing me. While we were kissing, we made our way to the bed and laid down. We kissed for a couple of minutes and he started to unbutton my blouse. Then he pulled my blouse off and undid my bra and took it off. He then undid my pants. I started to feel uncomfortable and tried to button them back up. I said, I would like to go back to the party. I started to set up and he said, no, the party's here. My heart was pounding. I kept trying to get up and he kept pushing me down. I said, no, no, I want to go. He then started to sexually digitally assault me and I went limp. He said that the way he was going, he said, 
So that's the way this is going to be. He got off me and I got up and got dressed. I went to the door and opened it to leave and he shut the lights off and then grabbed me around the neck and pulled me back in the bed. I pulled away and screamed loud. He pushed my head into bed so I couldn't scream. He twisted my neck. He said, I swear to God, I'll break your neck now if you don't take your pants off. I said, no. He said, I will kill you. I will kill you. I'll drop your body in, drop your body in a body bag in Philly, and no one will ever know. He pulled my pants off. I was just crying and saying, no, please don't hurt me. He punched me about four times. I told him I couldn't breathe. He then rolled me on my back and I felt him push his penis against me. Then he put it in me and I started to cry. Oh God. Oh God. Okay. So this is, it's a sad story. Horrendous, uh, situation, but let's take a look at the statement here and see where it changed. So She's using he and I, when they first started out, you know, Jed asked, he's rubbing my shoulders. He asked if I wanted to go up to the house. I said, okay, we went inside, we went through the kitchen. So they're, they're kind of together. There's consent. She's agreeing to go into the house and look around. We stayed in the room for about 15 minutes. We talked and played the piano. Then he said, do you want to go upstairs? And I said, all right, we went upstairs. So there's consent there implied consent. And he took me to Stan's room, bedroom. He then started to kiss me. Okay. While we were kissing, we made our way to the bed and laid down. We kissed for a couple of minutes. Okay. So there's consent. They're a couple at this point. They're in agreement. But this is when it starts to go sideways. He started to unbutton my blouse. He then pulled my blouse off and did my bra and took it off. He then undid my pants. I started feeling uncomfortable. So at this point, there's never a use of the word we in the statement after that, because now they're no longer a consent in place. There's no longer an implied agreement and they are no longer, uh, in a, a couple or a relationship. This is he versus her. They are no longer in together. She's distancing herself from them. This is not a relationship. That's when you see that shift. That's very significant. So everything went well up till that point that he took it a step too far. And when he wouldn't back off, then it became very acrimonious. Now, whenever you use possessive pronouns, you're indicating ownership my house, my car, my keys, my wife, my friends, my dog. Those are all items, objects, people, places that you're claiming ownership. But what happens when that shifts? When you shift from saying my house to the house, and why would you do that? Well, partly because you want to separate yourself from that item. Now, why do you want to separate yourself from that item or that person or that thing? What is happening at that point in the statement to cause you to want to separate? Is there some tension? Is there a reason why you no longer want to be associated with that item? That's the question to ask. Here's an example of an arson case 
where a house burnt down. Let me read you the statement from the owner. I left my house right after breakfast to join my friends at the track for the day. I drove back to my house, made a few phone calls, and then went out to dinner with Stan Thompson. Stan dropped me off at my house around 10 o'clock. After I changed my clothes, I left the house to spend the night at my cousin Tom's. Around midnight, we heard fire engines and got up to see what was going on. Do you see where he shifted from my house to the house? So my house, right after breakfast, drove back to my house, made a few phone calls. Stan dropped me off at my house at 10. After I changed my clothes, I left the house to spend the night. This is an arson case. And what happened, this, this person, uh, the owner of the house was, uh, a gambler. He liked playing the ponies. He, uh, was deeply in debt plus going through a divorce. So he was financially strapped. He decided to burn his house down for the insurance money. That's why he changed his clothes and left the house and went to his cousin's house for the night because he couldn't burn the house down and be in the house, right? He needed to be somewhere else. So he goes to his cousin's house and then he hears the fire engines going off and got up to see what was going on. He shifted from ownership of the house, my house, my house, my house to the house at that pivotal moment where he's burning the house down. He has already set it up. So the house is going to catch on fire and he's going to claim that it was burnt down for whatever reason. And he's distanced himself from this house. He's no longer has possession of this house. He does not want to be associated with this house. It is the house, not his house any longer. Or let me give you another example. You know, I talked a lot about Susan Smith over a couple of different uh, podcast episodes. This is uh, what Susan Smith finally said, one of the statements that she said after she finally confessed to the murder of her children. She said, when I was at John D. Long Lake, I had never felt so scared and unsure as I did then. I wanted to end my life so bad and was in my car ready to go down that ramp and into the water. And I did go part way, but I stopped. I went again and stopped. Then I got out of the car and stood by the car, a nervous wreck. So it was her car, my car, my car, until she decided to get out of the car and let it roll into the lake with her two babies in it and listen to them drown. Suddenly, it's not her car anymore. It's the car. She's given herself separation from that. She does not possess this any longer and she doesn't want possession of it any longer. The last one, let's, you know, talk about when you are giving up, uh, possession of a family member or, or an acquaintance and, uh, you want to give yourself some separation from that. This is an example of a man and a woman that went out boating and uh, she drowned while boating. And this is part of the statement that the husband gave. 
My wife and I left home around 9 a.m. and went to the marina where we keep our boat. My wife and I left the marina in the boat at 10.30 a.m. I picked up some fuel and odds and ends at the boat store, and then she and I headed to Captain's Cove about five miles out. Arriving around 11.30 a.m., I anchored the boat, and then my wife and I started to swim. It was about 11.50 when I noticed that Sandy was no longer nowhere to be found. So a couple of different things. He uses the term my wife three times during the statement. My wife and I left home. My wife and I left the marina. My wife and I started to swim. But at that pivotal moment where he couldn't find his wife, his wife has disappeared. Suddenly it's, I noticed Sandy was nowhere to be found. Now who's Sandy? Well, we have to assume Sandy is his wife, but why isn't he using still my wife? He's shifting to Sandy. And we found through a lot of different examples and research that many times when people have committed uh, violence against a family member, murder, what have you, they like to give themselves separation from the familial ties. They no longer want to claim that tie because it's very stressful and it's very hard to, you know, reconcile yourself with the fact that you've killed your family member. So no longer is it a family member, it's Joe or it's Sandy. The other thing is, is he starts out in the first line at the marina where we keep our boat. But then by the second line, my wife and I left the marina in the boat. He no longer ever after that, and he says, I anchored the boat later. He never says our boat, my boat. It's the boat. Because that is being used. That boat is being used as an instrument for the crime. He's taking her out there with the specific purpose of killing her, drowning her. Now, these odds and ends that he picked up at the boat store. I'm not sure exactly what that could be. Maybe additional nylon line, additional anchor, who knows? But, uh, there's a, there's a significant difference in how he takes ownership of the wife and the boat at the beginning and distances himself completely from that later on. Okay. So this is what we're talking about when we're talking possession and the use of pronouns when we're dealing with people, our relationship to items, our actions, or activities, or possessions. Let me finish this up with one last uh, little statement here. And this one will be a little more expansive because we've covered pie, we've covered extraneous information. Uh, so I want to go through this and we'll pick out a couple of different things. This is a uh, another arson case, uh, car fire says, the question is what happened when your car burned? I left my house around 10 o'clock driving my Dodge dynasty. I'd been having a lot of personal problems as well as financial problems. I had also been drinking very heavily. I came up with the idea to burn my car to get out of debt. I was somewhere on East fork road. When I turned off the hard top, I got out of the car and left it running. I reached in and dropped it in gear, steering it over the hill. The car went way over an embankment. I walked down and shut the car off. I removed the keys and soaked the whole car in gasoline. I took a cigarette lighter and lit it. I took back up off the hill. 
I caught a ride with someone on the hard road, but I'm not sure who it was. I'm not sure where I went after that, but I ended up back at my house. I drank a fifth of vodka. I really don't remember much more than what I've told you. Okay. So the pie, let's break down the pie. This statement is, you know, pretty good. Uh, the first five lines would be the prologue, leaving it, running it all the way up to he got out of the car and left it running. Now the incident is when it starts, when he says, I reached in and dropped in gear, steering it over the hill. And the incident ends up being approximately four line long. And it ends with, I took off back up the hill after he lived on fire. So the prologue is five lines long. The incident is five, four lines long. And the epilogue is three lines long. So it breaks down percentage wise is prologue is 45%. Incident is 35%. Epilogue 25%. Now that means that the statement is out of balance. But it doesn't mean that it's completely false because there's a lot of unique sensory detail inside the incident box to indicate to me that this part of the story is probably true. But the two things I want to point out is he starts out as my house, my Dodge dynasty. I came up with the idea to burn my car. And then when he gets there to the location where he's going to set the car on fire, it shifts from my car to the car. And he never uses the word, the pronoun, personal pronoun of my car again. It's always the car after that. Second thing, he has a couple of areas of extraneous uh, information in here that he's using to justify his behaviors. I have been having a lot of personal problems as well as financial problems. It's also been drinking very heavily. He's using that extraneous information to tell you, why I burned my car up and it's really not my fault because I was drinking heavily and I wasn't thinking straight. And then at the very end, he said, I drank a fifth of vodka. Once again, extraneous information doesn't add to the story other than the fact that he's using that to justify why he did this. And he really shouldn't be held responsible for it because I was drunk. Okay. So when you hear people using pronouns, personal pronouns, First person, second person, third person, I versus you, you versus I, we, then that shifts to he and I or she and I. I always want you to be cognizant of that because that tells you, is there a relationship? Is it strained? Is there an agreement to do something? Is there consent missing from this? And are you taking responsibility for your actions or your statements? Pronouns can tell you so much about someone if you listen closely to them. All right. With that, I'm going to leave it there. I thank you for listening. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe to the podcast. Uh, We're on uh, all the different uh, podcast platforms, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify. We're even on Amazon Play now. And uh, you can also get us through your Alexa and Echo. And if you like, please, you know, give us a review and a rating, five-star rating. And more than anything else, please share this with people that might be interested in this. I want to grow this podcast and get it out to as many people as possible. But with that, I thank you for joining us, and I will be talking to you next week.